Well, good morning, everybody. As I get my Bible out, I just want to say um, thank you to the music team. And also, they don't get enough credit and they hate being singled out, but I am so thankful for our tech team and our sound team because the stuff that they sometimes go through totally not planned for with sound systems and just how quickly and skillfully they go and fix things, it's just incredible. So thank you to everybody who's a part of that team and just for the, the work that you do that's often um, not seen by everybody. So I just want to say thank you for all of you. And well, many, it is Amnesty Sunday, as has been mentioned a few times, so why not introduce myself? Because, you know, there are probably people here, actually there are people here who are here for the first time. Um, there are people here who might have seen me a bunch on the stage, but have never had a chance to talk to me. So many of you might know me, but in case there's any of you who don't, my name is David Drover, and I, I work here at Milan Mission and serve at Calvary Baptist, this church, as well as our first church plant, Kilbride Community Church. And as I said, most often you'll see me with a guitar or with a microphone, but I'm always very thankful and very humbled to have these opportunities to open up God's Word. So thank you to the elders, to who you've seen, John and Paul, um, as well as Pastor Steve and Pastor Steve. Just so thankful again for this, this opportunity to be here. And on the thank you note, thank you, Jimmy, for reading out from Acts chapter 2. That's actually not going to be our primary text today. Um, our primary text, as Paul alluded to, will be in Psalm 16 in the Old Testament. But I want to, I got Jimmy to read out Acts 2 because it's very relevant for our text. So don't forget about it. And we're going to actually revisit that text a fair bit later in the sermon. So maybe bookmark it or whatever at this point so that you can flip back there later. And I, I don't know about you, but I just love, love the book of Psalms. It is such a beautiful book. And, and one of the reasons being, is, as Paul said in his prayer, that they're just so real and relatable. Because we, we see people who are going through the ups and downs of life while walking with God, writing out their emotions. It, from, throughout the Psalms, you, you see re- everything from rejoicing to despair. From rock-solid confidence to crippling fear. To, from praise to lament. In the Psalms, we, we really do find every human emotion. As John Calvin once said in the Psalms, they're like an anatomy for the soul. And so as we walk through this Psalm, I want to I encourage you all right now, as we walk through this text, don't just engage with it with your minds, but engage with this text with your hearts and your minds, because I am confident, okay, I'm confident that today that there is something that every single one of you here today needs to hear from this Psalm. And I say that, not as a salesman, but as a client. I've needed it this week. And so just to get us started, I want to ask you a question, a a real tough question here, okay? I'm sure many of you are going to struggle with this one. How many people, or sorry, how many of you have faced challenges in life? (laughs) How many of you have faced challenges in life? Yeah, we've all faced challenges in life, haven't we? Probably most of us here, even today, can think of Challenges we're facing right now, here in this moment, in this season. Whether it's fears of of economic costs that just keep rising and being able to support our families. Whether it's relationships that just don't seem to get better. Loss. Life changes that just lead to so many unknowns. And well, how about this one? How many of us feel like our schedules are too full? 
or that there's just constantly so many plates, perhaps even too many plates that we just have to keep on spinning, especially as we enter into this fall season with, with kids being back to school, and dare I even say, Christmas is around the corner. It'll be here before what feels like a blink of an eye. Life is busy. It is. And the problem for all of us as we face the so many challenges that we face is that these, fe- these challenges can be distracting us from what we really need to be focusing on. As we look at what's everything that's going on around us, we can very quickly lose sight of a God and then end up focusing on our circumstances. And in the past, I've, when I found myself getting distracted, when I found myself taking my eyes off of Christ or at least being tempting to, I've often turned to this text. I've turned to this psalm. And even this past week, when I've been preparing this sermon, when I've been wrestling with, with feeling tired or, or being stressed about not having enough time on my or, or not having enough time to finish everything on my task list, I've, I've repeatedly gone back to this psalm and prayed the words here to this text. And ultimately, they have helped me to help, find, help me find perspective and reorient my heart back to God. And it's during those times also that I've, I've prayed for all of you, that this moment here in these next 30 or so minutes, that this psalm, it will serve as an encouragement to you all, as it has been for me, and I pray ultimately that this psalm, it's going to focus us on what we should be focused on as we head into the fall, and that is Jesus. That's Jesus Christ. That's where we need our focus to be. So right from the start, once again, I want to I invite you to be reflective as we walk through this psalm. Consider the different perspectives, the different truths that you will hear and reflect and be honest about how your life is going. And let God's word speak in to the situation that you find yourself in. Because what we're going to see is that God's goodness transcends our circumstances. Okay, and more specifically, for you note takers, this is going to be our our single main point this morning, okay? What we're going to see specifically throughout over and over in this psalm is that knowing God leads to a life with joy, security, and confidence in Him. And I'll say that one more time, that knowing God leads to a life with joy, security, and confidence in him. And again, keep your Bibles open because we're just going to simply walk through this psalm and keep pointing back to those three outcomes of our relationship with God throughout, okay? So again, that's joy, security, and confidence. So let's read our passage together. This is Psalm 16, starting in verse 1. It says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, and I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. But the sorrows of those who are not after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord, he is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot, and the lines, they have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I've set the Lord always before me, and because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. And therefore my heart is glad. My whole being it rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul, the Sheol, 
or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your hand are pleasures forevermore. So starting right away, again, we're just going to walk through this psalm. So starting in verse 1, it starts with an ask, right? David asks God to preserve him, to protect him, to keep him. And this is a general ask here. Just notice that there's no other descriptions here about David's circumstances. So often when you read other psalms that start like this, you'll see some kind of follow-up of a description of his situation or a plea to God to deliver him from his enemies. And if you want an example, just, just turn the page to Psalm 17. But here David is simply expressing that he needs God's general preserving throughout his life. He says, preserve me, for I take refuge in you. Right from the beginning, too, we see David here. He's finding security in knowing God. He finds refuge in God. And that means that under God's care, he finds himself safe. He's secure. And to be clear, the, the point here is not perfection. Okay, David himself, he struggled a lot. And likewise, I think all of us in this room here tend to struggle with finding our joy and security and confidence in God, especially when we don't see God or when we sin or when we turn to other gods, which is what we're going to see just in a few minutes as we go down throughout the psalm. And David, he, he struggled himself with insecurity, as there were a lot of powerful people like King Saul who opposed him and wanted him dead. And you can, you can read about all of his life in First and Second Samuel. And yet reflecting on my own life for a second, how weak can I be that when all it takes me to, to struggle with my joy in the Lord is to drive from, you know, through some good old Newfoundland road construction? It's okay to laugh. <laughs> but as much as David would at times wrestle with his circumstances, he, he had a relationship with God. He knew that he needed to run to God through seasons of challenge as well as in seasons of confidence. So in Psalm 16 in our text, David's confident. But in Psalm 13, we'll see not so much. Here's what he writes in Psalm 13, just six verses. He says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider me and answer me. O Lord, my God, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. See, David knew through his life experience that life is full of ups and downs, of highs and lows. And he knew that through it all, he needed preserving and protection from the Lord. So he asks God to preserve him in verse 1. And notice that this refuge and this preservation, that it does not come without relationship. In verse 2, David, he says that the Lord, Yahweh, is his Lord. He confesses his trust and loyalty to God, and he acknowledges that he's got no good apart from God. 
Every single thing that is positive or good in David's life, it comes from God. It's because of God. And an example of that is well in verse 3. He starts talking about the, the saints, or in some translations it'll say the holy ones in the land. David here, he's, he's referring to God's people who have been set apart for a specific purpose. There was a reason that God decided to have a chosen people, namely Israel, and their purpose was to reflect and reveal him in the world. So in Leviticus 19.2, what, what does it say? What does God tell Israel? He says, be holy, for I am holy. So no wonder David, he, he finds delight in the saints because, because they point him back to God. And today the people of God is his church. So the church is another great example of a good gift from God as David delighted in the saints. It's good for all of us to delight and, and find joy in the church as the church is rooted in Christ. As we gather here every single week to, to hear God's word opened, to hear God's word prayed and, and sung and preached, the point of all that is that we would see Jesus. Whether it's me or any other preacher in this pulpit, we, we never want to come up here and get down and then have you think great things about the preacher. What, what we want you to think is we want you to think that Jesus is a great God. And so when we gather, that's, that's a joyful thing. It's a joyful thing to be here. I, I'm filled with joy to hear you sing truth about God. It, it, it fills me with joy to see you disciple one another throughout the week. It, it fills me with joy to, to be here and celebrate communion when we celebrate communion and have that meal together where we visually see the gospel played out before our eyes. So Calvary, at the local church level of Calvary Baptist Church, let's continue to live in gospel community with one another. Let's continue to be a group of people that reflect the gospel and point one another to Jesus where ultimate joy is found. And know that as we do that, that we will be a source of joy to our brothers and sisters as we generally reflect God to one another. See, knowing God leads to a life with joy. While following other gods as David continues in verse 4, leads to sorrow. And not just sorrow, but multiplied sorrow. In this room, there's, as I look around, there's a wide range of people. Right? There's, there's men and women. There's young and old. Singles, married couples, families. There's those who believe in Jesus, and well, then there's those who don't. But wherever you find yourself here today, what are you running after? What is it that you're chasing? Perhaps it's the approval of others, a comfortable, easy life, that next great job promotion or, or increase in social status or something else. And, and not all those are wrong to have, but as another pastor once said, good things become bad things when they become God things. And it becomes a God thing when it becomes the most important thing in your life and when it becomes your heart's greatest desire. So David here, he says, if you are running after a God that's not the God of the Bible, then that will only end in sorrow. And I'd be willing to bet that 
as vastly different as we all are, that every single one of us here would want to be happy. Or even better yet, every single one of us here wants to find true joy because those two things are different. Okay, as Jared Wilson puts it, talking about joy, he says, joy is the music that plays when our hearts are tuned to the frequency of God's glory and our connection to it. Joy is the, the heart's settled, ad, settled and worshipful contentment in our justification with God. Joy is the conviction that no matter the sadness of our circumstances or the weaknesses of our bodies, that we are secure in the sovereign God who loves us. And he continues on that thought, and, and he asks, do you see how joy runs deeper than mere happiness? He says, happiness is dependent upon our circumstances, while joy is dependent upon our Savior. So do you long for real joy? A lasting joy that transcends the temporary pleasures of this world? Then, then like David, don't chase after and worship other gods. He says in verse 4, he's not going to participate in their offerings or have their names on his lips. The only place that any of us will find true joy and complete joy that transcends all circumstances is by knowing the one true God of the Bible. So if you find yourself running after another God today, then pay careful attention to these words because it will only end in sorrow. And instead of chasing after those gods, why, why not run after Jesus? Start following him because only in him will you find true joy and contentment because he is all that we need. And that's what David then starts talking about in verses 5 and 6. He says that the Lord is both in control of his well-being and that the Lord is everything that he needs. And, and he does this by using a metaphor, okay, a metaphor of land. And this is significant because in those times when David wrote, land was thought of very differently than what it is today. As one commentator, Jacobson, explains, he writes, today land is just one more commodity that is traded. In the ancient world, however, land was the means of generating wealth and the means of sustaining life. To be born into a landless class might have been experienced as far from blessing. So when David says that the Lord is his portion, the Lord is his cup, the Lord is his lot, he's saying that the Lord is his portion of land, his, his cup of blessing, and his lot meaning that the Lord will control whatever land David receives. So in the CSB, that, that second line with the lot there actually is translated, you hold my future. Right? And that totally captures the idea here as well. So to summarize the metaphor, Longman, another commentator, writes, God is the one who determines the psalmist's life and provides him with what he has. And, and this is not a source of worry for David. Okay, he, he may not know or have control over his future, but he knows that God does. So instead of being anxious at his own lack of control because he knows God. David, he can find rest. He can find contentment. He can find security while trusting in his God's providing. He says that the, the metaphorical lines are boundaries of land that the Lord determines for him. They've, they've fallen in pleasant places. Indeed, he says, I have a beautiful inheritance. And, and Calvary, so do we. <laughs> so do we. God is also 
in control over our lives and futures. So for those of us who, who are experiencing change, who are experiencing uncertainty of what may lie ahead, then let's reflect on this truth and ask the Lord to give us this perspective, whether it's financial instability or starting a new stage of life at a new school or a new job or moving to a new place. The Lord is our portion. The Lord is our cup. And the Lord is, he's our everything. We have, we have no good apart from him. He, he cares for us. He, he protects us. He loves and guides us. This is the God that holds our future. So let's trust him with it. Let's trust him with our future. And when we do that, when we trust in our good God, then that will help us confront the different anxieties that we have, the different worries that we may have. And what that will do is then lead us to a disposition of security and confidence because we are secure in his care. And in that care, he, he counsels us. That's what David says in verse 7. And that's plenty of reason for both us and for David to praise and bless the Lord. But maybe you're sitting here now and you're wondering how. You know, it's great that David had a relationship with God like that. It's great that David knew that God that way, but how can I know God that way? Is this really true for all of us? Well, in verses 8 to 11, we're going to continue to see that same theme, again, of finding joy, security, and confidence in knowing God. But these verses are also very significant in another way because they point us directly to Jesus Christ. Just look at how Peter uses them in his sermon in Acts chapter 2. That's why I got Jimmy to to read that out for us earlier. And just as a heads up, this is the portion where we're going to start going to look at Acts 2 a bit more. So feel free to bookmark in your Bibles and turn there as we, as we go to Acts chapter 2 to track along. See, in his sermon in Acts 2, Peter, he quotes Psalm 16, verses 8 to 11 to prove his point, And this is his point, okay, that Jesus is Lord and that he is the Christ. Okay, this is the concluding point that he makes in verse 36. Peter explains in Acts 2, verse 25, he says that David wrote these words concerning Jesus. Okay, these verses, they're about him. And and when we think about it that way, it actually makes, well, it it makes sense. Just, I'll read out Psalm 16, verse 8. It says, I've set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. See, Jesus was always in communion with the Father. And Jesus both lived very confidently and authoritatively. Verses 9 and 10 of Psalm 16. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul, the Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. And again in Acts 2, 29 to 31. Okay, Peter explains that David is very much dead. And that these verses actually point forward to Jesus' resurrection. Jesus could not be held by death. He is the Holy One who could not see corruption. And then again, Psalm 16, you have made known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And these verses, they're, they're consistent with, with Hebrews chapter 12, where it says that Jesus, for the, the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, 
and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We cannot dismiss the fact that these verses in Psalm 16 point us to Jesus and reveal to us that he is the Christ. That is what Peter explains and argues in Acts chapter 2. And well, that means that we all need to respond to this reality. That Jesus is the Christ, the, the promised Savior to save us from our sins and then save us to a relationship with God. If, if you're sitting here and you don't know God and you want to know how we can know him, then here's the answer as we see it laid out in Acts 2. When the, when the people hear Peter's conclusion about Jesus, who he really was, it says in Acts 37 that the people, they were cut to the heart. They were convicted of and, and realized their sin and rejection of God, which led them to ask, brothers, what, what, what should we do? And like them, the first step for all of us to know God is to realize that we are sinners and that we have ultimately rejected God. But then... The good news, just as Peter instructs the people, we, we can repent. We can turn from our sin and turn to Jesus, trusting in his perfect life, substituted for our imperfect lives through his death on a cross. That's what it means to repent. And if we do that, then that means that we will be saved. And then without the barrier of sin, we, we're free to be in a loving, intimate relationship with God. So if you, if you don't know Jesus... And you want to, if you don't have this kind of relationship with God that I've been talking about, that David talks about, then I want you to know that you can know him here and today. All you need to do is turn away from your sin and turn to Jesus, trusting and relying on him to save you. That's the gospel. And even though that Jesus came after David, and David wouldn't necessarily have had a full picture of the gospel, in many ways we we know that he still believed in it. This is what David, or sorry, this is what Peter says in, in Acts 2, 30 to 31. He says, being therefore a prophet, talking about David here, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, and nor did his flesh see corruption. See, David believed that God would keep his promises and his oath that he would send the Christ. And, and David, he also very much knew that and understood that he was a sinner and that his sin was against God. Just listen to the words that he wrote in Psalm 51 after his sin with Bathsheba. He writes, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly, for my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and my sin in sin did my mother conceive me. See, David, he confessed his sin to God. He believed in the promise of a future Savior. He, he knew that God, he knew God, and as we've seen throughout Psalm 16, that's where he found his joy, his security, and confidence in God. So, 
as much as this psalm is about Jesus, these verses are about Jesus, these verses are also relevant for all of those who know God and are in relationship with him. So we're going we're gonna to walk through a few verses here in the New Testament. I want to encourage you, if you have note takers out there, write these down. I'll repeat them kind of quickly as we walk through them because these are different passages that are consistent with applying this psalm to us, okay? So Galatians 2, 19 to 20. Okay, I'm going to go pretty quick, so write fast. Galatians 2, 19 to 20. Acts 2, 33 to 38. That's Acts 2, 33 to 38. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And then John 3, 16. John 3, 16. And 1 Corinthians 15, 54 to 57. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 54 to 57. Okay, so through, throughout the New Testament, we can conclude that as Christians, as Christians, God is with us. Okay, God is with us. And if God is with us, then we too are secure and we can be confident just like what we see in Psalm 16. And, and don't just take my word for it, okay? Here's what God's word says as we walk through some of those texts very quickly. Galatians 2, 19 to 20, it tells us that we are united with Christ. Okay, in verse 19, it says, For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ, get this, who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the unity there is that we've been crucified with him and that he now lives in us. We are united to Christ. So next in in Acts Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter says that those who turn to Christ will receive the Holy Spirit. So two truths that, that we draw from these texts are that Christians, as Christians, we are firstly united to Jesus and we have received his spirit. And that means that as Christians, that, that God is with us. Right? As Jesus himself says in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Jesus says, he, he came to them and said, all authority. Okay, not, not some, not a little bit, not most of, but all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, get this, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus says he's got all authority. Okay, then he gives the disciples their mission, and then he tells them that he will be with them until the end. That means that Jesus, the one with all authority, is with us. As Christians, as we go out through life facing these different seasons, we can trust these truths while following Christ. And we can say these words of Psalm 16, in verse 8, I've set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. And therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. And then just consider arguably one of the most well-known passages in the entire Bible 
Okay, John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal, eternal life. So what kind of life do believers have? Eternal life. Just like in Psalm, Psalm 16.10, our God will not abandon our souls to hell. See, the hope of the gospel is that Jesus has conquered death for us. He's conquered death for us. One day, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 54 to 57, he says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immor- immortality, then shall come to pass the sayings written. Or in other words, Paul is saying as our current perishable bodies die and we are resurrected in new imperishable bodies, this saying will come to pass. Okay, this saying will come to pass. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For the, de- the sting of death is sin and the power of, the law is, of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Just like in Psalm 1611, he's, he's made, made known to us the path of life. In his presence, both now and in the future, there's fullness of joy. We will forever find pleasure at his side. See, our joy in Christ will outlast the waves and the storms of life because when Jesus was on that cross and he said, it is finished, he meant it. He meant it. Nothing in this life can take Jesus away from us. Nothing can separate us from his love, his rescuing of us, and that life that we now have in him. That means that we have all of eternity to delight in his greatness because we are secure in our salvation. See, knowing God, once again, it leads us to a life of joy, a life of confidence, and security, and I pray that the words of these psalm, that, that this psalm, that it encourages you in whatever season that you may find yourself in. And, and let me encourage you as a real practical thing throughout this season, throughout this fall, to read and pray these words back to God. To pray through Psalm 16, especially if you find yourself wrestling. Pray these words back to God and ask him to change your perspective. And let this psalm point you to our great God. Would you see Jesus here in this psalm and remember him as you live your life, okay? As Shailen powerfully once proclaimed, he said, remember Jesus Christ, okay? He said, remember Jesus Christ because Jesus, he is the universe creator. He is the prophecy fulfiller. He is the scripture validator. He is the cross carrier. He is the sin bearer. He is the death conqueror, the grave defeater, the salvation achiever, the weak strengthener, the elect preserver, the triumphant returner, the Satan destroyer, and the eternal joy giver. That is our God. That's him. It's Jesus. So for one last time, church, let us find our joy in knowing him. Let us find our security 
in knowing him. Let us find our confidence in knowing him. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, I simply want to pray through some of the things we've heard in this psalm, Lord. Would you preserve us, Lord, as we take refuge in you? Lord, we have no good apart from you. Lord, help us to delight in your church. Help us not to chase after and run after other gods and false gods. Because, Lord, you are our everything. Lord, we have a beautiful inheritance, an amazing future because of you. So, Lord, we thank you for that. We praise you. We bless you. Lord, as we go throughout this fall, this busy season, Lord, help us to know that you are with us. Lord, that because you are with us, that we will not be shaken. Lord, help us to rejoice and be glad in you. Lord, that our flesh, our physical bodies would even remain secure, that our whole beings would. Lord, because you know, we know that because you are a great God that saved us, that you will not abandon our souls. So Lord, as we experience your presence now, the path of life that you've given us, as we experience fullness of joy both here on this earth and at some point in the future, forever and all of eternity, Lord, we thank you. Help us to see you. In Christ's name, amen.